Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Never Graduate, the podcast where we don't just cover college sports, we live college sports. I'm your host, Tyler Graves, and today on the podcast, I'm going to give you guys the teams that I think are most likely to take a step forward in 2022 and the teams I think are most likely to take a step backwards this season. At least, I'm going to give it my best shot in the interest of full disclosure here today. I've been on vacation for the past week and a half or so, several time zones away, six hours to be exact, behind the eastern time zone here where I am located down south here in Georgia, and I'm exhausted. I took the red eye in last night, got here, landed in Atlanta at, what, 6.30 this morning, And yes, I am exhausted, borderline delirious, and this is the second episode that I am recording today. I'm fading. That's just the reality of the situation. I can't exactly think straight. I might or might not black out at some point during this episode, but I am here today for you guys. That's the kind of commitment you're going to get from me here on Never Graduate. When I promise you content you're going to get content, no matter the physical or emotional consequences for myself. So forgive me if I sound a little out of it today. It shouldn't be a problem. I'm getting my second wind. I can feel it. I just recorded an episode of my other podcast, but I took like 15 minutes off between those episodes. Didn't go right into it. So I feel the second wind. And look, man, I just love college sports. I love college football and getting to talk about it kind of just gives me that natural dopamine rush. So at least for the next hour or so, I think I'm good. After that, no promises. But I have put together a great show for you guys here today. Again, we're taking a look at the teams that I project to take the biggest steps forward and the biggest steps backwards in 2022. And I promise you, we will get to that in just a minute. But this is still a brand new podcast. This is our fourth episode. So I still want to make sure to welcome in our new listeners and give you guys a quick lay of the land and what this podcast is about. This is not something I'm going to do every episode moving forward into eternity. No, but just here for the first couple episodes, first couple weeks here, while we're getting more listeners and driving people to the show, I want to make sure to welcome everyone in. So just bear with me real quick here just for a second. But for those of you who are checking the show out for the first time, first off, welcome I appreciate you being here. I am your host, Tyler Graves. I've run a team podcast for the past eight years, so I'm not new to the podcast game, just new to this podcast. I'm here because I just signed a new deal with our distribution partners at Overtime Media, and as part of that new deal, I was very fortunate to be presented with the opportunity to launch a new national college sports podcast 
And uh, that's what you're listening to right now. Here I am, and I am loving every single second of this, whether I will black out or not. We'll see. Uh, so yeah, this podcast launched last week, and man, I, I, I got to admit, guys, the launch went better than I could have ever imagined. You never really know with things like this, especially when you aren't a big national name. I mean, I'm not. I'm a nobody. I'm just some dude, right? And you don't have the big sports media company behind you, so you never really know, but I am super excited about the early response to the show, and I just want to say a big thank you. Seriously, a big thank you to each and every one of you who have taken some time out of your day. I know you guys are busy. I know life is busy, but taking time out to give this new podcast a shot. This show is for you guys. It's designed for diehard fans just like you, so I really hope that you are enjoying the content. I certainly hope you wouldn't subject yourself to something that you are not enjoying, but thank you guys, and if you are enjoying the show Please consider doing a couple things to help out, help the show grow and keep this thing running. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. It's at NoGradPod. Like, retweet, comment, all those things, just general interaction. That's a huge help in getting the podcast off the ground and getting this thing rolling. Uh, Five-star ratings and reviews. That's another massive thing that you can do to really, really help the podcast out in a big way. We've got 31 five-star ratings through the first week of the podcast, which is just insane. That's so much more than I had thought was even remotely possible. So thank you guys. I'm glad to see that you're enjoying it. I want to give some big shout outs here to people who actually took some time out of their day to not only click the five-star rating, but also to leave some very nice and generous reviews. So jhood 97 Jonah18, Tessa Savannah, Katie's dad, Lake Dog, 31186, Matt Smalling, 88, Gilman White, Ben Abbey, R Downs, 99891, and Drew High. Thank you all, each and every one of you, for being so kind and so generous. I sincerely appreciate you, and you have no idea how much that helps this new podcast. In the grand scheme of the world, I'm a nobody. I'm just some dude with a podcast. So, those five star ratings and reviews following the podcast on social media. Those are the things that have to happen for me to be able to get the word out about this podcast and for this thing to grow. So thank you guys for that. I appreciate you and let's just keep it going. But all right, I think our new listeners get the idea. Thank you guys for being here, but let's get to the good stuff. Who is taking a step forward and who's moving backwards in 2022? Now to be entirely honest, I went kind of back and forth on whether or not I should even do this episode at this stage in this podcast history, because this is a very risky episode. If you think about it, it's a very risky episode for a new podcast to do, because some of you, yeah, you're going to love me. You're going to love me today, because I'm going to wax eloquent about your program. I'm going to love on your team. I'm going to give them a big old bear hug, but there's a flip side of this. A lot of you are about to hate me because I'm going to be a buzzkill about your team. And I do not take any pleasure in that. I don't. I'm just trying to give you guys my objective, well-reasoned opinions on college football. That's what I'm trying to do. Now, Michigan State fans mobbed me on Twitter a few days ago because I had the gall to suggest they would see a bit of a regression this year. How dare I, right? How dare I do that? But Look, agree or disagree with me, I'm always on this podcast going to tell you exactly what I think, and more importantly, 
I'll give you a deep dive into exactly why I think that. You don't have to agree with me. That's what makes college football beautiful. It's the discussion, the debate. I don't want you to agree with me on everything. I'm not going to give you hot takes just to give you hot takes, but I'm going to give you my opinions and I'm going to back them up. I'm going to support them with research, with my knowledge of the game, the teams, the players, all of that stuff. But I don't want some of you to just shut this episode off out of disgust too early so let's open with the positive vibes here today. The teams that I believe are poised to take a step forward in 2022, a big step forward in 2022. And I guess first an operational definition would be a good idea. So what exactly do I mean by step forward or step backward? I mean, it's pretty simple. I'm gonna try to keep this simple for you guys today. Will a team's record be better or worse than last year and by a good margin and or will a team win a title or make the playoff if they didn't last year and vice versa if you won a title if you made the playoff you won a conference title if you won a division title but i don't project that for you this year then you are going to be on the step backwards list now originally i had 10 teams i had five teams taking a step forward and five teams taking a step backwards that was the list I was going to go through those 10 teams. But when I got into the research and and kind of preparing the outline for this episode, I realized about halfway through, there's no way I'm going to be able to get all of this in in one episode and not be like a three or four hour long episode. And I know none of you got the time to sit here for three or four hours straight and listen to me talk about teams taking a step forward and a step backwards. So I decided to kind of cut it back a little bit. So I've got three teams that I project to take a big step forward in 2022, and then three teams that I project to take a pretty big step backwards in 2022. I like to go in depth, guys. You'll figure that out on this podcast. I like to go in depth. I like to give you guys the most detailed look into these teams that you're going to find anywhere. And in order to do that, sometimes I have to limit what I'm talking about on a given episode. So instead of going into depth and detail with 10 teams, we're going to go into the, that depth and detail with six teams. That's more doable. But let's go ahead and dive right into this first team on my step forward list. And that is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I am certainly not the first person to say this. This has been said by many different talking heads over the past couple months throughout the course of this, this college football offseason. But Nebraska, as cliche as it might sound at this point now, when we're a month and a half away from the new season, was the best three-win team that I have seen in my entire lifetime. In fact, I've been, I haven't been around for 50, 60 years but I think it might be the best three-win team in the history of college football. I truly believe that. And I was saying that, and I was of that mindset last year. I was the idiot who kept betting on Nebraska to win games last year. I kept looking at the team. I was watching their games. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm watching how they're finding ways. They're creating new ways each and every week to blow games. And I kept telling myself, well, that, that can't happen next week. Oh, it, it, it's happened twice. No, it can happen again. Oh, it happened three times. No way it's happened four times. Well, it happened four times. No way it's going to happen again. It has to be it, right? This team is so much better than their record. Eventually, they're going to straighten things out and they'll figure this out. But they never did. They never actually figured it out, at least when it came to finding ways to close the door and win games. But I will still contend Nebraska was a good football team last year. I know that's insane to say when they were three and nine. 
That's, that is inconceivable to be able to say that, right? But statistically, they were good. Their record, not good. Statistically, good, very good. Their yardage margin was nearly plus 1,000. They were plus 967 in their total yardage margin last year, which means they outgained their opponents by nearly 1,000 combined yards. And they still found a way to lose three games. Can I put this into perspective for you guys? Michigan State, the fan base that, and we'll talk about Michigan State a little bit later on. I don't want to spoil anything right now. But Michigan State was minus 150 in their total yardage margin last year, and they still found a way to win 11 games. How does that happen? How does one team outgain their opponents by nearly 1,000 yards and go 3-9, and nine, and then another team in the same conference, yes, a different division, I get it, but they, they both played Michigan, they both played Ohio State. How does one team in the same conference go minus 150, get outgained by over 150 yards on the year, and win 11 games. It truly defies explanation. But the numbers don't stop there for Nebraska. I mean, here's a couple more for you. Just to add on to the idea that Nebraska was actually a good football team last year that just couldn't win games, which is an oxymoron. I don't know, but it, it's, it screws in your mind, but it's it's true. But according to Stats of War on Twitter, which is, again, great follow, Nebraska had the biggest difference between expected wins and actual wins. The Cornhuskers, according to Stats of War, were expected to win 4.45 more games than they actually did. So what does that mean? It means they should have been a 7 or 8 win team and not a 3 win team. But again, they invented ways to lose games. Eight of their nine losses were one-score games. They lost to Ohio State by nine. The only game they lost by more than one score was by one point more than one score, nine points to Ohio State. They lost to Michigan by three. They lost to Michigan State, an 11-win team, by three in overtime. Kind of blew that one late. So how does that happen? How is that remotely possible? Well, what killed them, as you all know if you watched them play last year, was their penchant for catastrophic mistakes. That's the only way I can describe it. Catastrophic mistakes destroyed them last year. They were 94th nationally in turnover margin and 127th in special teams S&P+. And even saying that and giving those raw numbers, that doesn't even really do it justice because you had to kind of see it to believe like it was the way that they turned the ball over and the way they made special teams mistakes that were truly mind-blowing they sincerely invented ways it's like they were just sitting there in in the locker room saying all right guys what new way can we come up with to blow this game today that no one's ever seen before and you know what they never ran out of new material never ran out of new ideas because it was something new every single week But what you have to ask yourself when you're projecting Nebraska in 2022 is this. How much of that, how much of that bad fortune was just bad luck? Because if it's just bad luck, that's not really all that likely to be repeated in a new season. So how much of it is that? And then how much of it is that's just who they are? And that's just who Scott Frost is as a coach at this point. Because according to Bill Connolly, who's another great stats guy out there, Bill Connolly now works for ESPN, according to his second order wins measure, which measures how many games a team should have been expected to win, Nebraska should have won 23 games under Scott Frost in his four seasons at the helm there in Lincoln. How many have they won? 
Well, 15. So is it really just bad luck if it's happening that consistently year after year? These are the questions you have to ask yourself and the things you have to wrestle with when you're trying to project Nebraska's fortunes in 2022, which, guys, I'm telling you, it's tough, man. Because, again, all last year, I thought they were a good team. I still think they were a good team. But I, I, I couldn't figure them out, man. I could not bet on them accurately. I, I figured out finally in the season that they're just not going to win football games. And this year, I mean, you look at it and you're like, okay, you, you should be good, but are you going to be? I don't know. You have to wrestle with that. So I don't know, man. Like, what is the answer there? Ultimately, Scott Frost is responsible for the wins and losses. He's the head coach. The buck stops there, right? He's got to be responsible for that. But there's some context. You got to give the guys some, some context here. The program was a mess when he inherited it after Mike Riley. I mean, just went off the rails with Mike Riley. It was a bad fit there. Mike Riley is a good football coach. Just a really, really bad fit, and things kind of went completely off the rails. So for the first couple of years, you got to give Scott Frost the benefit of the doubt, right? But last year, I, I, there's no benefit of the doubt to be given because it just got out of hand, man. Like it, You can't have a team that had as much talent as they had. I'm not saying they're the most talented team in the country, but they had seven to nine win level talent on that roster. You can't have a team that has that level of talent that's actually productive on the field, again, outgetting your opponents by nearly a thousand yards on the year and have them come out with a three and nine record. You just can't avoid culpability when you're the head coach under those circumstances. You just simply cannot. It got out of hand last year. But here is why I am going to give Nebraska the benefit of the doubt this year, and here's why they are on this list. I'm going to spend a lot of time on Nebraska because I know, guys, this is a three-win team from last year, and you're sitting here like, Tyler, you're you're putting your stock in these guys? Like, you're buying stock in Nebraska? Really? And I know, I know, like, they fooled me about 17 different times last year, and here I am again. Like, I guess I'm the idiot. But here's why I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt going into 2022. Number one, let's start at quarterback. They're just upgrading quarterback. Look, Adrian Martinez, he, he was a microcosm of the entire Nebraska team himself. Adrian Martinez was a good quarterback. Like, he did good things. I mean, he put up good numbers minus the catastrophic mistakes. And you just can't subtract that from the equation because the mistakes that Adrian Martinez made cost his team games. And games as in plural, as in multiple games. He alone cost his team some of those games. And that overwhelms no matter what good things you did to get your team in the position where they had a chance to win the game. Because he did. Like he did some good things to put his team in position to win football games against other good football teams. Like that's great, but that's just completely washed away by those insane mistakes that he made. So I think that Casey Thompson is going to be an upgrade at quarterback. Now look, Casey Thompson, like all these quarterbacks that transfer, he transferred for a reason. He was probably not going to be the guy at Texas. Things kind of went sideways there. Obviously, Quinn Ewers transfers back to town. So Casey Thompson, he's leaving out the door. He's now in Nebraska. So it's not like he put together the greatest season in the history of college quarterbacks last year. No, he didn't. But he was he was good at Texas. Wasn't elite, but he was a good player. And here's the thing about Casey Thompson. He's not going to make those absolutely debilitating mistakes that so consistently cost Nebraska games the way that Adrian Martinez did. Thompson, I mean, if you look at the numbers statistically, Thompson... Uh, about 64% completion percentage to Martinez, 61%. So give him a slight edge there. Martinez, 
Averaged 9.4 yards per pass attempt to Thompson's 8.1. Martinez had a lot of all or nothing in him. But again, like Adrian Martinez was a good quarterback when he wasn't turning the ball over and blowing games for his team. But the reason I, I'm giving Thompson the edge here is that you just have to imagine he brings more stability to that team. It's hard not to when you watch Nebraska play and watch Adrian Martinez good games away. And that alone should be worth two to three wins on this schedule. That alone should be worth two to three wins. Now, who is he going to be throwing to? I mean, he loses some weapons out wide. You lose Samari Toure. You lose Austin Allen at tight end, the top two pass catchers from last year. But I really like who they have in the backfield. They got a financial receiver, but I like the running back duo of Ramir Johnson, who's their leading returning running back. I think Jaquez Jan is a guy smaller, shiftier guy that I, I thought was explosive for them when he got some opportunities. I think he can be a big playmaker for them this year. And then defensively, I mean, yeah, they're going to have to completely rebuild the defensive line. Now, they were pretty good up front last year. But those guys are gone. Got a whole new group up front this year. Going to have to figure that out. But they do return for their top five tacklers, including linebackers Luke Reimer and Nick Heinrich, who I think could actually end up being a star in the Big Ten this year. I really, I'm high on him. I love what I saw from him last year. I liked what I saw from him even more when I went back with my offseason film study. I think he's going to be a big time player. But beyond just the players themselves, which obviously it all has to start there, but the schedule also lightens up for Nebraska this year. There's no Ohio State. They played Ohio State very tough last year. There was a point in that game where I was like, is this where Nebraska figures it out? Like, are they going to find a way to win this game? And the answer is obviously no. But, I mean, they were they were in it, man. They gave Ohio State a run. But no Ohio State this year. Uh, they do have to go to Michigan to the big house. So that's going to be a tough game. I'll probably call that a loss now, right? But outside of Michigan, they draw Indiana and Rutgers from the East, which is a very favorable East draw and crossover play. They have to play Oklahoma in the, in the non-conference, but it's the Oklahoma return game. They played at Oklahoma last year. It's another one of their close one-score games they lost, that so they're going to win that game, and they didn't win that game. They found a way to blow that game. But the Sooners are coming to Lincoln with a brand-new coaching staff, a lot of turnover on that roster. So that's a game I think Nebraska could potentially find a way to win. We'll talk more about that as we get closer to the season, but I wouldn't, if I was a Nebraska fan, I wouldn't concede that as a loss right now. Uh, of course, in the Big Ten West, they got to play Wisconsin and Minnesota, as they do every year, but they get both those teams, Wisconsin and Minnesota, at home. And I think the Badgers and the Gophers, in my opinion, coming into the season, we'll talk about this more as we get to our Big Ten preview, I think those are the top two contenders for the Big Ten West title. And they get both those teams at home. They only have four true road games on the schedule this year. So in addition to not having Adrian Martinez on the roster, having more stability at quarterback, having some weapons in the backfield at running back, having some guys on defense for your top five tacklers returning. The schedule is just favorable enough to allow them to, I think, easily double their win total from last year. And that's the thing. I'm not sitting here telling you guys today that I think Nebraska is a Big Ten title contender this year. I'm not even saying I think they're a Big Ten West contender. I really don't. I think they can maybe upset one of those teams that ends up winning the Big Ten West, but I don't see them as a true West contender this year. But they don't have to be. That's the thing. They don't have to be in order to take a step forward this year. It's all relative, man. Life is relative. College football, it's all relative. And getting to six wins and making a bowl game in 2022, that might not save Scott Frost's job. He might need to get seven or eight wins. But regardless of what his fate ends up being, if they get to six wins and make a bowl game after three wins last year, that constitutes doubling their, their win total. 
That might not fulfill all the dreams of the, all the loyal Husker fans out there, but it's undoubtedly a step in the right direction. Again, if you look at that schedule, six wins seems, I, I don't want to call anything a certainty because nothing's a certainty, but I would say six wins seems very likely with the possibility of more if they can just avoid killing themselves like they did last year in Casey Thompson can play at a high level. So Nebraska, that's the first team on my list of teams that will take a big step forward in 2022. In fact, this was the poster child for this episode. Like I was thinking about this episode, Nebraska was the first team that popped into my head of, oh yeah, they're going to be way better than three and nine this year. All right, guys, we're back. And I know I went very deep with Nebraska there, and I won't go quite as deep with these next couple of teams, but I really just wanted to lay out my thoughts on Nebraska and explain to you why I thought they were going to take a big step forward this year and why they made my list despite only winning three games last year. But let's move on here and let's get to number two on my list of teams that I project to take a big step forward in 2022. And that is going to be the Miami Hurricanes, the U. And there's a lot of hype. You guys know. I mean, you, you read the same stuff I do. There's a lot of hype out there around Miami this offseason. This is a team that went 7-5 last year, got their coach, Manny Diaz, fired. So what, what does progress mean for Miami? Is it 9 wins? Is it 10 wins? Normally, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm very cautious when I see a team get hyped up that much, as much as Miami has this offseason, based almost exclusively on A, a coaching change, and B, recruiting momentum stemming from that coaching change. Because nothing has happened on the field yet. So all this hype is based off a team that went 7-5 last year, and you got a coaching change and some recruiting momentum. And I guess you could also say you've got a quarterback that people trust. That also helps. But you haven't seen on the field yet. And usually I'm very, very cautious about buying into that. However, give me all that Miami stock. Give it to me. Let me buy it up. All the stock I can buy, I want it all. I'm buying the Miami hype this year. Not only do I think that Miami can get to eight or nine wins this year, which I think alone would constitute progress and would put them on this list of taking a step forward. I think they can do better than that. I think they can win the ACC Coastal and play in the ACC title game for the very first time in program history. Think about that, guys. Just, just take a second. Think about that. 19 years in the ACC. This will be Miami's 19th year as a member of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And the next time they win the Coastal and play in the ACC title game will be the first time it has ever happened. Damn. I mean, remember when they and Virginia Tech came into the ACC? People thought Miami and Virginia Tech were just going to run the Coastal coming out of the Big East. And early on, Virginia Tech kept up their end of the bargain. They, you know, they, they made a couple appearances in the ACC title game and, and won a couple titles themselves. They've obviously fallen on hard times and have made a couple coaching changes. Brent Price coming in year one this year. But Miami had never lived up to their end of the bargain. They have just been essentially a non-factor. She had one year with Mark Rick where they made a run and got late in the season where they were in the top five, looking at a team that might make the college football playoff and they lose to Pitt and then it all kind of fell apart from there. But seriously, they've never won the division. Just crazy. It's crazy to believe that. But that's past history. That doesn't matter. What I care about is this year. What's going to happen this year? I don't think that's all that instructive. What's going to happen on the field this year? 
And I'm buying the hype. I'm buying all the stock I can in Miami for two big reasons. Number one, I mentioned him a second ago, quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. That dude is legit. He's the real deal. He's reason number one. I'll go into more detail here in just a second. And reason number two is the ACC Coastal itself. The division just sucks, guys. I mean, I know that's not a very eloquent way to say it, but I mean, let's just put it how it is. The ACC Coastal sucks this year. I mean, when you've got two, not one, but two of the very worst teams in all the Power Five in the same division, I'm talking about Duke and Georgia Tech, your division sucks. Objectively, your division sucks. But who cares? That's great for Miami this year because that gives them a legitimate opportunity to win this division. Even though this roster, I don't think is fully built out yet. It's not. They have some pieces. Don't get me wrong. We'll talk about a lot of those here in a second. But it's not a fully built out roster yet the way that it will be once Mario Cristobal puts together a couple of top recruiting classes. And let me explain kind of how I go about this. When I'm looking for teams that I think might take a step forward, and I do this every single year. This is the first time I've done this episode on this podcast. So this podcast is brand new, but I'm always looking for teams I think are going to take a step forward, teams that are going to take a step back, because I like to gamble on college football. I like to gamble on college sports, responsibly, of course, and I like to put some wagers down on win totals that I believe in. So I'm always, every season, every offseason going into the season, usually around May when those numbers and those win totals start coming out, I'm looking, okay, who do I think can take a step forward this year? Who's going to take a step back? Who overachieved last year? Who underachieved last year? So I'm always thinking about this. And when I'm looking for teams that I think can take a step forward, obviously I start with the eye test. I always start there. I watch a lot of college football guys. I watch it during the season. I spend the entire offseason going back and rewatching games, getting ready for the next season. So I start there. But then I also dive into the numbers and I look at teams that lost, you know, a bunch of close games or maybe they had a better statistical profile than what their record suggests they should have had. And Miami hits on both accounts. They hit on the eye test. I see a lot of talent on that team, especially in Tyler Van Dyke. And they were better statistically than a 7-5 and team last year. Sure, they got blown out week one by Bama and Michigan State a couple weeks later, blew them out again rough start for Miami. And then De'Aaron Keene decides he's going to, you know, shut down for the rest of the year. And it's like, oh man, like, this gonna, how bad's going to get for Miami? But those were just better teams. Like, Bam was just better. Michigan State was just better. But the other three games they lost, they lost five games, got blown out in those first two. The other three games they lost in ACC play, they lost them by a combined eight points. They lost to Virginia, North Carolina, and Florida State by a combined eight points last season. And I still do not understand how they lost that Florida State game. I actually just finished rewatching that game about two weeks ago. And dear God, I mean, I, it, it's their win probability. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Their win probability had to be like 99.9. Florida State had it late in the game with, I think, maybe 20-ish seconds left, if I remember correctly. It was like fourth and 15, some crazy long distance on fourth down. And Jordan Travis somehow completes the pass, get the ball down right in the end zone, and they end up scoring. And they, and they score with like under 10 seconds left to win the football game. It's just insane. Miami absolutely blew that game. They also kind of blew the UNC game. So, really, you know, if you look back at it, you know, I'm watching that game like, man, and that's kind of what got Miami on this list is like, Miami was actually pretty good last year. Like, they very feasibly could have been a 9-3 and team. It could have been 7-1 in the ACC Coastal. They really could have been. Like, there was two games, UNC and FSU. They 
they should have won. Virginia, you can maybe even say they should have beaten Virginia too. Like they could have easily gone undefeated in the ACC last year. Now they didn't play Clemson, although Clemson wasn't you know, traditional Clemson last year. But I mean, they beat some good teams, guys. I mean, they beat NC State. NC State was a very good football team in the ACC last year. They beat NC State at home. Grand, small margin, beat them by one point, 31-30. They beat Pitt, who ended up winning the ACC last year. They went to Pitt in 138-34. So this was a good team. That's what I'm talking about. When I'm looking for teams that kind of fit the profile of a team that's going to take a step forward in twenty uh, in the next season, Miami is like a poster child for that. They were so much better than 7-5. The games they lost, most of those games they shouldn't have lost, and they easily could have been a team that won the division last year. And when I look at Miami this year, you got to start with Tyler Van Dyke. I am a Tyler Van Dyke believer. I wasn't right away off the bat last year. In his first game or two, he was kind of inconsistent. You, you could see the talent in flashes, but I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I see a lot of talented guys out there, but they can't consistently put it together. I, I didn't know if he was going to be one of those guys. He was inconsistently to go over De'Aaron King. But from the NC State game in late October on, so from that game late October on, the last six games this season, he was fantastic. Literally as productive as any quarterback in the ACC. And as productive as, as any quarterback not named maybe Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Like really, that, that's what we're talking about. He was performing at that level. Over the course of his last six games last year, Tyler Van Dyke Averaged 365 yards passing per game, 66% completion percentage, 9.2 yards per attempt, 20 touchdowns to three interceptions. He went six consecutive games to end the season, throwing for over 300 yards and at least three touchdowns, setting a program record in the process. If you extrapolate those last six games out over a full season, Tyler Van Dyke literally put up Kenny Pickett numbers. Kenny Pickett averaged 332 yards passing game last year, 8.7 yards per attempt, 42 touchdowns to seven interceptions. If you take those last six games of Van Dyke season last year, which is, I guess, half a season, and you extrapolate that out over the course of a 12-game regular season, he would have averaged 365 yards passing a game, 66% completion percentage, 9.2 yards per attempt, 40 touchdowns to six interceptions. And he did that as a freshman in his first season of playing college football while Kenny Pickett was a fifth-year senior. And it was the same competition, guys, same conference, same division. And he was as good as Kenny Pickett was over the course of the last six games. And oh, by the way, in case you forgot, Kenny Pickett got an invite to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. That is how good Tyler Van Dyke was over the last six games of last season. And that, my friends, is reason enough for me to buy into Miami because the quarterback position is by far the most important position in football. If you have a quarterback, you got a shot. If you don't, you got no shot. And Miami, they got one. So if it was just Van Dyke alone, I'd still probably buy into the hype. Maybe not as much as I am right now, but I'd still buy into it. But the thing is, it's not just... Tyler Van Dyke, like he's the leader of this, right? Like he's 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 the highlight, but he's not the only reason I like this Miami team. There are plenty of weapons around him on offense. 
I, I like Jalen Knighton. He was up and down last year when he, when he was in the lineup. Jalen Knighton was a playmaker for them. Henry Parrish, a transfer from Ole Miss, who I thought at times was the best running back for Ole Miss last year. Him and Jerrion Ely. Henry Parrish can absolutely play. He's a guy that can run the football. He can catch the ball in the backfield. I think Keyshawn Smith, at wide receiver, could break out. He was young last year and was raw, but you could see the potential. And I think there's a chance he could be one of those breakout guys from this year. Xavier Restrepo is a prototype slot receiver. Frank Ladson, a former highly rated receiver, coming over as a transfer from Clemson. They have weapons on offense for Van Dyke to work with. So I think they're going to be very good on offense, but it's not even just the players themselves. As I mentioned earlier, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but the ACC Coastal, it it sucks, right? It sucks. And it is ripe for the taking this year. I mean, think about it. Who is the presumptive favorite in the ACC Coastal this year? Who is that dominant force? I think Miami has as strong of a claim on that as anyone in the division this season. I know you probably look at it first and say, well, Pitt, right? Well, I mean, Pitt won the division. They won the whole ACC last year, right? But I mean, we'll get to Pitt a little bit later. Pitt's losing a lot, guys. I mean, they're losing Kenny Pickett, Heisman Trophy finalist, Mark Whipple, their offense coordinator, Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff Award winner receiver last year. You got Jared Wade and Kanata Mumfield from Akron, who is a freshman All-American, to try to replace Addison. But we're talking about losing the Blitnikoff winner here, guys. You don't just replace guys like that. Not if you're Pitt. You don't recruit like that. And you got Keaton Slovis coming over from USC as a transfer to replace Kenny Pickett. I mean, okay, you got my attention there. Slovis has done some good things, but... Is he better than Tyler Van Dyke? Um, no, emphatically, no, he is not. And look, Pitt, we'll talk more about them later. They have, they have some studs up front on defense, but they have to go to Miami this year. And then who's after Pitt? I mean, maybe UNC? Honestly, I might, I haven't completely made up my mind here. I might have North Carolina second in the division this year. I might, I might have them over Pitt. We'll, we'll see about that. Give me a couple of weeks. We're going to do our ACC preview, and I'll let you know for sure there. But I'm toying with that concept. I think a lot of it depends on how their quarterback shakes out. Is it going to be Drake May? Is it going to be Jacoby Criswell? Whoever it is, how good are they? I mean, there's a lot of hype around Drake May's recruit. Jacoby Criswell was not as highly recruited, but he's impressed the coaches. They're really high on him. You hear a lot of positive things about him coming out of North Carolina. And you get the best wide receiver in the league in Josh Downs to work with. Mac Brown has been recruiting very well at North Carolina for their standards. And they have some really nice pieces on defense, especially in the back end with guys like Tony Grimes and Storm Duck. They have an incredibly experienced offensive line that hasn't performed at a high level the past couple of years, but they're really experienced. So I guess that counts for something, but they're not better than Miami. They don't have Tyler Van Dyke. Virginia Tech, nope. Virginia, no coaching transition this year for them. And they had one of the most pathetic power five defenses I've ever seen last year. They were bottom five in the power five. They gave up 6.6 yards per play last year. I mean, it's hard to be worse than that. Then you got Duke Tech. Huh, yeah, funny. Not, nice try, guys. Now, Miami does have some landmines on their schedule. They got to go to Texas A&M early in the season. They got Clemson in Death Valley late in the season. So probably two losses there. But it's not inconceivable that they could win one of those games. I mean, it's not out of the question, not likely. I wouldn't predict it right now, but it's certainly not impossible either. But outside of those two games, 
they should honestly be favored in every single game the rest of the way. Like maybe they drop one somewhere along the way. They shouldn't because they're still building out the roster. They're, it's not a roster without holes. And there's a transition. You got a new coaching staff. There's usually growing pains. Almost always going to be some sort of growing pains. But if you look at the rest of the schedule, they get North Carolina at home. They get Florida State at home in a rivalry game. They get Pitt at home. Outside of A&M and Clemson, those are the three toughest games on the schedule on paper. And they get all of those games at home. I think Miami very realistically could go 10 and 2. I mean, again, last year they realistically could have been 8 and 0 in ACC play last year. They blew some games, but they could have easily been 8 and 0. They weren't, and they lost those games. That's who they were, but they're going to be better this year. So I think it's absolutely reasonable to think they could possibly go 10 and 2. I might account for margin for error here and say 9 and 3 is more likely, but even at 9 and 3, as long as it's not three conference losses, let's say it's losses to Texas A&M and Clemson, you lose one of those to North Carolina, Florida State, or Pitt. I think they're still winning the Atlantic. And are they ready to win the entire ACC? Oh, no, no. I, I'm not going to go there yet. I still think they got to build up that roster a little bit more. But I'll tell you right now, I expect Miami, I fully expect Miami to win the ACC Coastal for the first time in their program's history and play in the ACC title game for the first time in program history, which will absolutely represent a very big step forward for this Miami Hurricane program in year one under Mario Cristobal and give him even more recruiting momentum to work with as if he needs that. Okay, so I went a little longer with Miami than I had planned to. I could kind of into that talking about Tyler Van Dyke. So I'll try to keep this one a little shorter for you guys so we can get to the three teams on my list of teams that are going to take a step back in 2022. My last team that I see taking a big step forward this season is the Southern California Trojans, the men of Troy. So, I mean, look, guys, like if I've already bought into the Miami hype, I mean, what the hell? Let's go all in and do it again, right? Let's buy some stock in that USC hype while we're at it. I don't know if I want to buy as much stock in the USC hype, but let's buy a lot of it anyway. But I think this one's an obvious one to me. This is another one you think about, okay, who are the teams that are going to take the biggest step forward? And some teams just kind of pop in your head and you got to go back and do some more research. But USC is one of those teams that just kind of comes to mind, just like Nebraska did, right? I mean, USC was 4-8, and eight, guys. They were 4-8 and eight last year, 3-6 and six in the Pac-12. There is absolutely zero chance that they only win four games again in 2022. I do not have a, a crystal ball here. I cannot sit here and tell you exactly what their record is going to be. But what I can tell you is that they are winning more than four games. There is zero chance. I'll say it again. Zero chance they only win four games this season. Lincoln Riley's too good. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, Travis Dye, they are all far too good for that to happen. Now, like with Nebraska, does that mean they're going to win their conference? Are they going to win the Pac-12, make a playoff run? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm predicting. Inevitably, there's going to be some growing pains in a transition, just like with Mario Cristobal at Miami. When you're establishing a culture and having to rely on so many transfers, it's going to happen. And guys, USC has more roster turnover than any team in the country. They took more guys from the portal than any team in the country. But this is not a list of teams that I think are making the playoff. That's not what this episode is. This is a list of teams that I think will take a step forward in 2022. And USC is a team that is 100% book it going to be better in essentially every way than they were last year. Okay, Tyler, that sounds great. But why? Why are they going to be so much better than last year? Well, number one, you have to start with the coach. I mean, let's be real, guys. 
He's just a better coach. Lincoln Riley's a top five coach in the country. He's a proven winner. He's just better than Clay Hilton. And I don't want to sit here and bash Clay Hilton. People have done that enough. But he's just a better coach. I mean, hands down, we don't really even need to discuss that, right? They also are going to have a better quarterback. With all due respect to Keaton Slovis, Caleb Williams is a better prospect. Caleb Williams is a better player. Caleb Williams has a far higher upside than Keaton Slovis does. And look, there's a fantastic freshman year for Slovis a couple years ago in 2019, but he's really come back down to earth. Caleb Williams did some just insane things last year. He had a top four QBR as a freshman. The dude's just got some magic in his game. Like you go back to that Texas game in the Red River shootout, right? It's another game that I was watching a couple weeks ago and trying to finish up my prep for the coming season. And, you know, Spencer Rattler started that game and it was dreadful for him. And Texas got out to this huge lead. They put in, at first, they just put in Caleb Williams for one play. He was going to run the football, right? And then he just happens to like shake some guys, break some tackles, and he's off the races and he busts his long touchdown run. And uh, then he comes, and then they actually put Rattler back in after that. And eventually took Rattler out for good and they put Williams in and the rest was history, right? Caleb Williams has that magic. Even in the Kansas game, right? They were about to lose to Kansas. And Caleb Williams kind of put that team on his back and had some magic and and found a way to win that game. And guys like that are just special. Caleb Williams is a special quarterback. And then he's got the reigning Bolitnikoff award winner wide receiver to throw the ball to, paired with a former top 50 recruit, Mario Williams, who he has a familiarity with. They were both teammates at Oklahoma last year. They're much better at running back than they were last year. Travis Dye led the Pac-12 in yards from scrimmage last season. My question with USC is really along the lines of scrimmage. I still have some serious questions about them along both the offensive and defensive lines and really the defense in general. I'm going to use one guy as an example here. Like relying on a guy like Shane Lee as a transfer to come in and be the the, the force in the middle of your defense at inside linebacker, that would not be very encouraging to me if I was a USC fan because Shane Lee, I thought, was an absolute liability at Alabama back in 2019 when he was forced into playing time. Like He was young, I get it, and he was forced into duty because they had a lot of injuries, but he was a flat-out liability for them. He was terrible for them in 2019, and apparently I'm not the only one who thought that. I think their coaches did too because after that season, they just didn't play him anymore. I mean, he's had nine tackles combined over the last two seasons, and He's supposed to be one of the guys that's going to fix this defense that Trojan fans are supposed to get all excited about. Uh, Good luck with that, guys. Good luck with that one. So USC is not without their issues. But again, I'm not saying this is a Pac-12 title team. I'm not saying this is a playoff team. I'm saying this is a team that's going to win significantly more than four games that they did last year. This is easily an eight to nine win team with that schedule. At Utah, that's going to be very difficult. Notre Dame, going to be difficult. At UCLA, going to be difficult. Those are three games that they very well could lose all three of those games. Could they win one of those games? Yeah, absolutely. Could they win two of them? Maybe. Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. They're going to have to have a lot of answers. A lot of guys really become answers for them, but not crazy. They're not going to sweep that. I don't see that happening. I think one and two is probably most likely. But, though, I mean, outside of those three games, like, where are the tough games? I mean, Fresno State is a sneaky tough game in week three, maybe, right, if you don't take them seriously. Maybe going to Corvallis in September to take on the Beavers is a sneaky game, maybe. But then after that, you've got Cal, Washington State, Colorado, Arizona State, all at home. you got Rice thrown in there as well. I think 7-5 and five is the absolute floor for USC this year. I think 10-2 and two is the ceiling. But anywhere in that rep, in that range, whether it's seven to five, the ten and two, whatever, anywhere in that range, 
represents a significant step forward from 4 and 8 last year. Okay, guys, so I had a lot of fun there diving into those three teams that I think are going to take the biggest steps forward in 2022, but that's the easy part. No one's going to get mad at me. No one's going to try to rip me apart on social media for those opinions. People are going to love me for that, right? Who doesn't like to be loved? This next part, this is the one that, hey, I'm still going to have fun doing because I just love talking college football, but I know that People are going to get very angry with me, and they're going to come for me. And look, that's fine. You run a podcast like this, it happens. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. But let's go ahead and start the top here. These are the teams that I think are going to take the biggest steps back in 2022. And let's go ahead and do it, man. Let's start with Michigan State. I want to start with this one because this is the pick I got mobbed over on Twitter a couple of days ago. And let me sneak in a real quick shameless plug here. Again, follow me on Twitter at NoGradPod. Like, retweet, comment, interact. Love it. But anyway, I was uh, just going about my day and scrolling through Twitter and saw something that caught my attention. It's Big Game Boomer, who's got a great account on social media. He's really grown that over the past couple of months. I'm sure most of you listening to this podcast are familiar with him. He puts out a bunch of lists. And one of the things he's been doing recently is he's basically just been taking a picture of a team schedule and saying, so-and-so's record will be blank, fill in the blank. And so he did that with Michigan State. And I said, just without even really thinking about it, like I, I took five seconds to think about it and said six and six. Because I've been looking at Michigan State for a while, preparing for this episode, and I just tweeted out six and six. And again, I tweeted out real quick without putting a ton of thought into it. I will admit that. But yeah, and studying this team over the past month or so, that's kind of a number that I've had in my mind that I felt wasn't altogether unrealistic for them. A tad aggressive, sure. I mean, seven and five is probably more likely. I would say anywhere from six and six to nine and three at the absolute best for Michigan State this year. But this was an 11 and win team last year. So anywhere in that range between six and six and nine and three would represent a big step back record-wise from where they were last year. And Mission State fans don't want to hear this. And I get it. They're fans. That's awesome. I love the passion. I appreciate it. That's what college football is all about. I love that. But they do not want to hear that. They felt disrespected. And I, honestly, I think a little bit of the defensiveness comes from the fact they realize that, yeah, like we statistically probably shouldn't have won as many games as we did last year, but they shouldn't apologize. If you're a Michigan State fan listening to this, do not apologize for winning 11 games last year. You guys won those games. You found a way to win. No one is going to take those games from you, but that doesn't mean that it's not fair to question going into 2022 how replicable that is in a new year when statistically you didn't really have the profile of an 11-win team. And this is where I want to pause and just remind you guys that I am simply trying to give you my honest, objective, informed opinion here. I am absolutely not trying to give you hot takes. I loathe hot takes. That is anathema to me. I'm not trying to give you clickbait. I loathe that. I've told you since the very first episode of this podcast, the goal of this show is is to produce hardcore college football content for the diehard fans. And in doing that, I am going to tell you exactly what I think. But more importantly, I will explain in detail why I think that. I'm never just going to say something, let it hang in the air without explaining it. And honestly, I don't really even consider this a hot take. I, I guess I get how it may seem that way saying a team that won 11 games and won a New Year's Six game last year is going to only win six or seven games this year. 
I can see how a, a Michigan State fan would be riled up by that. It can, and I can see how they would view me as just trying to grab attention. But I really don't feel like it's crazy. And I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to give you my opinion. This is my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. That's fine. If you don't agree with it, beautiful. But this is just really what I think. And here's why I don't think it's crazy. Michigan State, not only did they not have the statistical profile of an 11-win team last year, they really had the, the statistical profile of a 6-6 six and six team last season. That's why like, when I said 6-6 six and six and I tweeted that out in response to Big Game Boomer's post, I said 6-6 six and because six I've been doing research on Michigan State, all these teams, trying to prepare for all these episodes I'm doing for you guys. Do a lot of research behind the scenes, a lot of watching games, looking, a lot of looking at numbers and schedules and all that kind of stuff. And I'd been looking at things and I've been looking at other teams that had similar yardage margins and scoring margins to Michigan State. And a lot of those teams I was noticing, they were six and six, six and six, seven and five, somewhere in that range. So that's why I said, yeah, six and six, because they kind of had that statistical profile last year. And let me back that up. Again, if you're a Michigan State fan, I don't hate Michigan State. I have no ill will towards Michigan State whatsoever. In fact, I love Mel Tucker. I think Mel Tucker is gonna build that thing out. He's gonna take your program to places you have not been in a while. So I'm very excited for your future. You should be very excited for your future. I just think this year's a transition year. I just don't think it's gonna happen for you this year. But let me back that up, okay? So I, I don't wanna sit here and say that they had the statistical profile of a six and 16 without giving you some numbers to back this up, okay? According to Stats of War on Twitter, Michigan State won two and a half games more than they were expected to based on his Pythagorean expectation. Remember we talked about Nebraska? Should have won four and a half more games than they did? Well, it's the flip side for Michigan State. They won two and a half more games than they should have, which made them the second biggest overachiever in the country according to Stats of War's numbers, okay? Now, that's his numbers. Take it for whatever you want to take it for, a grain of salt, whatever, but he does a good job with his numbers out there and that's something that he has put together. Their yardage margin last year was minus 159, which means they were outgained on the year by their opponents by 159 total yards. In fact, they were outgained in six of their 12 regular season games last year. A full half of their regular season games, they were outgained by their opponent. Their score margin was plus six and a half. So they, yeah, they outscored their opponents, but by less than a touchdown. You usually don't see that with 11 and win teams. Let me give you some six and six teams last year and give you some of their profiles here in terms of yardage margin and scoring margin. Auburn, six and six team in the SEC last year. Their yardage margin was plus 372 yards. So they actually outgained opponents by 372 yards compared to Michigan State, who was outgained by 159. Auburn was also plus six and a half in their scoring margin. So statistically, Auburn, six and six from a yardage margin and scoring margin standpoint, which I know that's not every advanced stat out there, but I think those are good measures to look at when you're trying to figure out how good a team was. That's a very, very good place to start. Auburn statistically had a better profile than Michigan State did, but they only won six games. Michigan State won 11. Again, Michigan State fans, don't apologize. You don't have to. No one's taking them away for it from you. You won those games. And, and finding a way to win those games, there's a lot to be said for that. I have a lot of respect for that. You had a bunch of winners on that team. That's great. Here's another team, Boston College, another 6-6 six and six team last year. Their total yardage margin was plus 53. So they barely outgained their opponents last year, but they did by 53 total yards. They were plus two and a half in scoring margin. So they didn't outscore their opponents by as much as Michigan State did, but they were better in their yardage margin. So again, very similar 
statistical profile to Michigan State, who was an 11-win team, another 6-16. Six Here's one more 6-16, six Texas Tech. Six and six in the regular season last year, guys. They were plus 146 in their yardage margin and plus one-tenth of a point per game in their scoring margin. So they did not outscore their opponents by as much, but they were better in their yardage margin. Again, very similar statistical profile to what Michigan State was in yardage and scoring margin. Those are three six and six teams. Those are just the numbers, guys. I did not crunch those numbers. I did not create those numbers. That is reality, okay? So, yes, when I say Mission State had the statistical profile, the, the statistical resume of a 6-6 six and six team, or at least closer to a 6-6 six and six team than an 11-win team, that is what I'm talking about. But somehow, the Spartans went 11-2. and two. And again, as I've said several times, they deserve a ton of credit for that. There is certainly something to be said for a team just being a bunch of dogs out there that find a way to win. I got a lot of respect for that. And I had a lot of fun watching Michigan State play last year. That Michigan game, I was in Jacksonville, Florida. You ready to go to the Georgia, Florida, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party game. I was watching that game. I hated to be dra- had to be dragged away from that game to go to the, the cocktail party game. And I was watching it on my phone as I was walking to the game. I, it was a, a thrilling game. It was a fantastic game to watch. They were a lot of fun to watch last year. But they won a ton of close games last year. And let's just be honest, guys. Michigan State fans, I think if you're being objective, you can admit this. It's okay to admit it. Michigan State won a lot of games, late in games last year, because their opponents made mistakes down the stretch. And look, Michigan State certainly made their fair share of big plays and big moments too. They deserve credit for that. Like the Michigan game is a great example of that. Michigan made a lot of mistakes late in that game in the fourth quarter to to give Michigan State a chance to keep them in the game. But Michigan State, give them credit. They made plays when those opportunities were presented and they were able to win the football game. But I mean... Look, like they scored, a, they, they returned a punt for a touchdown with under four minutes to go against Nebraska to be a three-win team in overtime. They were down at half to Indiana, who was a, a horrific team last year. The Michigan freshman quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, fumbled the game away when they were trying to ice the game in the fourth quarter after um, being up 16 earlier in the in the second half. So there were a lot of close games that Michigan State found a way to win. Give them credit, they won them, but... From a statistical standpoint, the fact is they were just far closer to Auburn and Boston College and Texas Tech than they were to Ohio State, at least from a statistical standpoint. But 11 wins are 11 wins, right? They made plays and they had to, but you have to admit there's there's a major luck component involved in that success. And I know you Spartan fans don't want to hear that. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I don't like giving bad news. Man, that sucks. It's not fun. But if you were really being honest with yourself and you're a Michigan State fan, I think you could admit that. I think you could if you're really being objective and being honest. I know it's hard as a fan, but if you're being honest, I think you can admit that. So my contention is that with Michigan State, it's just extremely difficult to replicate that type of success from one year to the next when you're outgained by half of your opponents, but found a way to win 11 games. Like there's a major luck component there. Now, it is fair to say, and this is what Michigan State fans have spent a lot of time telling me over the past couple of days, well, Tyler, that was last year. We're going to be better this year. And you know what? Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. I can't discount that. Maybe. But really, are you? And if so, how much better are you going to be? Because, I mean, the team I watched last year, Kenneth Walker was the dude. Like He was the driving force of that offense, really the entire team. 
Guys, Kenneth Walker accounted for 31% of Michigan State's total yards from scrimmage last year. That dude averaged 6.2 yards per rush. He was an absolute monster. He's gone. Sure, they bring in Jarek Broussard, who was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year at Colorado back in 2020, but uh, I mean, how much stock do we put in that? It, it was a COVID year in the Pac-12 where they had teams with mass units out there on the field because the Pac-12 had these absurdly stringent COVID protocols. He was injured at times last year, but only averaged 4.7 yards per rush last year. He's a good player at the very least, but he's not Kenneth Walker. And then they also bring in Jalen Berger from Wisconsin, who was option three at best for Wisconsin during his time there. So like, you think those two are going to put up the numbers and the production that Kenneth Walker did? I have a hard time seeing that. I think the reality for this Michigan State team this year is that they're going to need Peyton Thorne to step up and be something he has not been, at least at this point in his career, which I think is a truly elite quarterback. I do think he can grow and improve, and I think he's a good quarterback. Don't, be wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think that Peyton Thorne is a very good quarterback. I know that as Michigan State fans have had a lot of fun telling me over the past couple of days, he said the, the program record for touchdown passes last year, which is great. That's an awesome accomplishment, but we also have to use some context here and say, well, it's a different era of offensive football, right? Offensive records across the country are dropping like flies because offenses are using tempo, we have RPOs, all sorts of offensive innovations that, have, that are just making offenses, generally speaking, more prolific. The, the rules now favor offenses, all that stuff, but still, really good quarterback. But what I would say about Peyton Thorne is I don't think he has a C.J. Stroud level ceiling, but I do think he's a top, probably top three quarterback in the Big Ten coming in 2022, somewhere in there, top three, top four. I think that's fair, but my question for Peyton Thorne is this, has he shown that he's good enough to be like truly the driving force behind the offense of a top 10 team? Because that's what Michigan State fans think they're going to be. They think they're going to be a top 10 team and more power to you. I know you were, you were in that, that, that Rome last year. But if they're going to be a top 10 team this year without Kenneth Walker, Peyton Thorne's going to have to take on a bigger role. I think they're going to need that from him this year. And I just, I have my doubts. Like, is he that kind of guy? He's very, very good. But is he that kind of guy? Is he like CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Caleb Williams level good? Is he that good? I don't know. I don't know. But he does have a star out wide in Jaden Reed, who went for over 1,000 yards last year. Jaden Reed, fantastic player. Michigan State does have some good players, guys. I'm not here saying they're terrible, they have some good players. But I just have some major questions about this team. And really, defensively, that is the real concern. Last year, they were top 30 in yards to play on offense. They were good. Defense is the problem. I mean, they gave it 441 yards per game last year, guys. It was 110th nationally. They were, hear me when I say this, dead last in pass defense in the country. They gave up 324 yards a game through the air. Now, if you do the math, though, that means they're really good against the run. They only give about 115 or so yards a game on the ground. They were very, very good against the run. Unfortunately for them, a lot of teams in the Big Ten like to run the football, so that matches up well. But they were so bad, like literally as bad as I've ever seen a Power 5 team be against the pass last year. And it was really hard to believe watching that last year because Mel Tucker's their head coach. He's a defensive guy. And also, more than that, a secondary coach by trade. I don't think they're going to be that bad this year because, I mean, how could they be, right? Because they've tried to address it. They've gone to the transfer portal. They brought some guys in. But how much can you improve in one year? I mean, are you going to go from dead last to the top 50? I mean, maybe, sure, it's possible, I guess, but I think that's a stretch. I think if you're being honest, Michigan State fans, that's a stretch. And how are you fixing that? I know you went to the portal, 
But Amir Speed, I mean, I know that's a guy that you brought from the transfer portal that a lot of fans are excited about. Bring him in from Georgia. Hey, you got one of Georgia's players from the transfer portal. Guys, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence in that, okay? I mean, I, I live in the state of Georgia. I am a Georgia guy, all right? I am a Georgia fan. I'm a season ticket holder, die hard, bleed red and black Georgia fan. Amir Speed, I appreciate the guy because he stuck it out here. He stayed here for five years, guys. He was on the team when we won the Rose Bowl in 2017. Yes, he started, I think, the first two games last year before he was overtaken by a freshman in Keeley Ringo. But other than that, Amir Speed never started a game for Georgia. In fact, Amir Speed never played any meaningful snaps whatsoever outside of garbage duty. He was a fantastic special teams player for us. But you're relying on that guy? who could not see the field in five years. And look, I know it's Georgia, and Georgia has insane talent, all right? If I must say so myself, we have a lot of talent here in Athens. But he couldn't see the field. And that guy is going to be one of the dudes that's going to fix everything with your pass defense? I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I wish a guy best of luck, and I wish you guys the best of luck. I really, really, really do. I'm rooting for him. But I don't know if I would have a lot of confidence in that. Now, one guy that I do really like that they got from the transfer portal on defense is Aaron Brule from Mississippi State. He's a linebacker. He was actually recruited as a safety, and I know this because I follow recruiting very, very closely, and he was recruited by Georgia. Not only was he recruited by Georgia, he committed to Georgia. Now, he eventually decommitted and ended up going to uh, Mississippi State. Now, he wasn't a big-time recruiter. It was like what we call a Billy Bob thing here in Georgia where we found a guy that mm, kind of fit what we were looking for a little bit better, and we encouraged him to maybe look around a little bit. He ends up at, at uh, Mississippi State, but he had that connection with Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker was our defense coordinator in Athens at that time, and so that kind of is the connection and why he's going to Michigan State right now, but he was a safety who has safety speed athleticism who grew a little bit, put some weight on, and now plays linebacker, and that dude's good, man. Like Aaron Brule was very, very good for Mississippi State last year. It's a big loss for them. I think that's a big pickup for you guys that's just going to further shore up your rush defense, but the pass defense, again, that just, that concerns me if I would be, if I'm a Michigan State fan. If I'm a Michigan State fan, I'm still highly, highly concerned. They'll be better, but how much better? And then there's the schedule. You got at Michigan and you got Ohio State at home. I don't think Michigan State's winning either of those games. They get Wisconsin and Minnesota in crossover play, who, again, I think are the two leading contenders for the Big Ten West title, in my opinion. They're the two best teams in that division. They also go to Washington, to Penn State, to Maryland, to Illinois. All of those are very losable games. I will tentatively give them five wins. And I say tentatively because of Illinois, I think Illinois will be improved this year, but they could feasibly lose the remaining seven games. Now, I do not think that will happen. I don't think they're going five and seven. Don't kill me. I don't think that's not what I'm predicting. I'm just saying it's not out of the question, but they'll probably get two or three out of those swing games of at Washington, Minnesota, Wisconsin, at Penn State, at Maryland. But that still only puts them at like seven and five or eight and four. And any way you slice it, that represents a significant step down from the heights of an 11-2 season and a Peach Bowl New Year's Six victory. All right, next up on my list of teams that are going to take a step back in 2022, let's go to the SEC. In fact, let's go to the SEC West and let's talk about the Ole Miss Rebels. What a season it was in 2021 for Ole Miss. They won 10 games for only the third time in the last 50 years. And actually, it was the first time that Ole Miss had won 10 games in the regular season in program history. But like Michigan State, can they follow it up? 
And I think this is a really interesting team. I've kind of gone back and forth with them throughout the offseason, watching who they were landing from the transfer portal. But man, it's been really interesting watching this team get put together. Now, Lane Kiffin has declared himself the Portal King. They were second in the country in the number of transfers they brought into their program. They were on 17, only behind USC, who I believe had 20, if I remember correctly. And they got some good players. They really did. But man, 17 new players coming from the transfer portal? That is a lot of turnover in one year, but they're good. I mean, Jackson Dart coming from USC, highly recruited five-star quarterback. Zach Evans, former number one overall running back in the country. Michael Trigg, former top 247 guy. Ulysses Bentley, who was very productive for SMU at running back. Malik Heath, bring back Jonathan Mingo. He was already on the team, but you bring back Jonathan Mingo. There's a lot of toys to work with for this Ole Miss Rebel football team. But guys, Matt Corral is gone. Okay. Matt Corral is gone. And I know I didn't have this podcast last year, but I did have another podcast, a team podcast I do. And people who listen to that podcast know how much of a Matt Corral stan I was. I loved Matt Corral. Now, I thought early Matt Corral's career, he's kind of a punk, dude. Like, he had some maturity issues, but that dude turned it around and became a leader. I mean, like, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy do, like, a complete 180 the way that he did in terms of his maturity level. Like, he became a leader on that team. He put his life on the line at times, it seemed like, for that Ole Miss football team. I mean, he was the heart and soul of that team, literally put his body on the line. Dart has the physical tools and might have more physical upside than Matt Corral. I can I can be open to that, but man, he ain't Matt Corral, dude. He ain't that kind of dog. He is not that dude. But I will say that system is, for the most part, plug and play at quarterback. And, and Jackson Dart, even though he's not going to be Matt Corral, he's going to put up numbers. I, mean, I, I don't really have any doubt about that. That offense is going to put up numbers. It always does. Now, they do lose Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, play caller, Bring in Charlie Weiss Jr., who has some connections to Lane Kiffin going back to his FAU days. So we'll see how that works. Maybe Lane takes more control of the offense this year than he has in the past year or two. We'll see, but that offense works, man. It always puts up numbers. Lane Kiffin has never been a coach of an offense as a coordinator or head coach that wasn't highly, highly productive. So I fully expect it to be again this year. But in case you haven't heard, if you're not from SEC country and you don't pay attention to Ole Miss all that much, Ole Miss has been a flat-out embarrassment on defense for several years now, basically since Lane Kiffin arrived in Oxford. Now, the 2020 Ole Miss defense, and I know it was a COVID year, so there's that, but it was literally the worst defense in the SEC in over a decade. I mean, they got up into the top 100 last year, which that is actually progress for them, guys. Like That's big-time progress for Ole Miss defensively. They only gave up five and a half yards per carry and 420 yards a game, only, only 420 yards a game compared to 6.7 yards per play and 519 yards a game in 2020. Actually improved their scoring defense by almost two touchdowns. They went from 38 points per game allowed in 2020 to 25 last year. Still not great, but significantly improved under coordinator DJ Durkin. But a lot of the reasons for that progress from last year they're gone. Sam Williams was their best defensive player last year. 12 and a half sacks on the season. A single season school record. He is gone. Chance Campbell came over as a transfer from Maryland last year. and Really helped stabilize the middle of that defense. His team leading 109 tackles. They are gone. Cedric Johnson is back this year with six and a half sacks from last year. He's probably going to be their top edge rusher. 
but he wasn't Sam Williams last year. DJ Durkin, defense coordinator, gone. And here's the thing with Ole Miss. This is what makes them so interesting to me. I think they're going to start 7-0. I really do. Maybe 6-1, but 6-1 is the absolute worst. They might lose to Kentucky, but they get Kentucky home. But listen to the schedule, guys, all right? So this is their first six games. Troy, win. Central Arkansas, win. At Georgia Tech, absolute win. Tulsa, win. Kentucky, I think it's a win. It's at home, but maybe they lose that game. Then at Vanderbilt, definitely win. Auburn, win. Auburn, I'm not very high on this year. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven and O to start the season is not a stretch at all for this Ole Miss team. Not at all. And if they do indeed start seven and O, they might very well be ranked inside the top five in mid-October. I mean, think about it, guys. The media loves Lane Kiffin. Hell, I love Lane Kiffin. I mean, that dude is pure entertainment. Their offense is going to put up monster numbers. We know that pollsters like monster offensive numbers. They got Zach Evans, who might be in the Heisman conversation. He's going to put up some highlight plays. He's that kind of dude if he can just keep his head straight and not create problems in the locker room. But then the schedule gets tough, guys. So 7-0. I really think they can be 7-0 to start the season. But then I think they could turn around and lose five in a row to end the season. I don't think that's crazy. I'm not saying they will, but it also went out of the question, man, because after that first seven games where I think they can go 7-0, they then get at LSU, which LSU, I know it's a transition year, but it's, man, it's Tiger Stadium. Tiger Stadium, tough place to play, man. Probably very well could be a night game. At LSU, at Texas A&M, get a bye week, and you get Alabama at home. Then you follow that up by going to Arkansas, and then you end the season with the Egg Bowl hosting Mississippi State, who I think Mississippi State is a very good football team this year. The record might not show up, but that's a good, tough football team. I'm not saying they're going to lose all five of those games. They'll probably get one or two of them. Maybe, maybe. But even if they do, it's going to be a step back from the heights of a 10-win season a year ago. I think... I think eight and four. I think eight and four is probably the number. I think they probably get one of those games. I mean, that's tough, guys. All in a row at LSU, at AM, Alabama, at Arkansas, Mississippi State. And that's all in a row late in the season when you have the wear and tear of the season that's going to start creating some attrition for your team. And Ole Miss has some really good players, some good frontline players. They don't have a ton of depth. And that, that hurt them last year. They were able to overcome that. I'll give them credit. But man, that is a tough way to end the season. And again, like I mentioned, DJ Jerkin and Jeff Lebby, they're both gone. So replacing both coordinators in the same year, that's tough. That's tough. So I don't think Ole Miss is going to be bad. I think Ole Miss is going to be a good team. I think they're going to start probably 7-0, maybe 6-1. But when it's all said and done after that late, brutal stretch in the season, I think they probably end like 7-5, 8-4, maybe 9-3, which I guess that wouldn't end up being that much of a step back if it's only one win less than what they won last year, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I just I don't think they're going to be a team that's going to find themselves in New Year's Six. I think they're going to be a team that comes back down to earth, ends up around seven and five, eight and four. And finally, the last team on my list today of teams that are going to take a big step back in 2022 
is the Pitt Panthers. They're very similar to Michigan State in a lot of ways, and it's kind of fitting how they played each other at Peach Bowl last year. But what a fantastic year for Pitt. 11 wins on the year, the most wins they've had in 30 years. They won an ACC title, their first ACC title in program history. They had a Heisman Trophy candidate, a Heisman Trophy finalist in Kenny Pickett. Pat Narduzzi truly finally got the Panthers over that proverbial hump. But like Michigan State, at least this year, what's next? I think this is, a, like Michigan State, a, a bit of a transition year. Now, let me preface all of this by saying that I don't think Pitt is going to be bad this year. Just like Michigan State, just like Ole Miss, I'm not saying they're going to be bad. I'm not saying they're going to go 3-9 and nine or 4-8. and eight. I don't think they're going to crater. Their defense is too good for that. But I also do not think they're going to win the ACC. I don't think they're even going to win the Coastal. And for a team that won 11 games and won the entire conference last year, that is indeed the definition of taking a step back, coming back down to earth. So where does my concern for Pitt stem from? And in answering that question, I think you have to think about the factors that contributed most heavily to their historic success last year. I mean, for their program, that was a historically successful season. So let's think about it. What accounted for all that success? Well, I mean, really, it was offensive driven, right? I mean, Kenny Pickett as a Heisman finalist. Jordan Addison won the Blitnikoff Award as the top receiver in the country, 1,500 yards plus receiving. Mark Whipple was the mastermind of the offensive success the guy kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes there. I mean, they were top three in scoring offense and top eight in total offense last year. Mark Whipple was a big reason why, of course, the players themselves. But Whipple kind of calling the shots there behind the scenes. And look, they were good-ish on defense last year. They were really good against the run. Again, very similar to Michigan State. Really good against the run, but very bad against the pass. Not as bad as Michigan State, but still very bad against the pass. But that team was offensively driven. That's how they won football games. And basically every single component that made their offense so dynamic last year is gone, okay? Well, I mean, Kenny Pickett, he's gone. Enter Keaton Slovich from USC. I mean, yeah, like I said earlier, he was really good in 2019, but he regressed a lot last year. So who is he? Which guy is he? Is he the 2019 version? Is he the 2021 version? Is it somewhere in the middle? Was last year just a result of all the turmoil around the program? Who is he throwing to this year? There's still a lot of questions about Keaton Slovis. The bottom line is he's not going to be as productive as Kenny Pickett last year. I do not see Keaton Slovis with that group of receivers being a Heisman Trophy finalist. I just do not see that. Jordan Addison, gone. Over to USC on the West Coast. Now, Jared Wayne, good solid receiver, 600 plus yard receiver last year. And you got freshman All-American Kanata Mumfield coming in from Akron. But again, we're talking about losing the Bolitnikov winner here, guys. Jared Wayne, good receiver. Mumpfield, good receiver. They're not Jordan Addison. Mark Whipple, gone. There's just a lot of newness on this offense and a dearth of proven playmakers. Now, the one saving grace they have on offense is that they do return all five starters on the offensive line, but behind them, they don't really have any certified playmakers at running back. I mean, they're fine at running back. Israel, Abanakanda, Vincent Davis, they're fine. They're okay. But they were only 77th nationally in rush offense last year. That's not how they produce points and yards on offense. They threw the ball. That's how they did it. They had Kenny Pickett, you had Jordan Addison, and those guys played pitch and catch. They really didn't run the ball that much. And when they tried to, they weren't all that effective at it. Now, Frank Signetti comes in as offensive coordinator. 
more the Boston College style ground and pound. We'll see if he tries to change things up. I don't know, but there's just a lot of newness there and a lot of turnover and their best players are gone. And that's just really, really tough for a team like Pitt, who doesn't recruit at an extremely high level, to overcome in one season. That's something they're going to have to build up to. So again, I don't think Pitt, just like Michigan State, just like Ole Miss, I'm not saying they're going to fall off the face of the earth. Pat Narduzzi is a good coach, and they're too good on defense for that to happen. You got Kalijah Kansi coming back with seven sacks. Baltanado's coming back with nine sacks. They're really good up front on the defensive line. Servaka Dennis, the second team all, SC, all ACC last year. He was their leading tackler. He's back. But this team, guys, I mean, I'm just going to say it, man. They ain't repeating as ACC champion. That's just not happened. Hell, I don't see how they even win the Coastal. And that, by definition, is a step back. The schedule, they get Tennessee at home, but Tennessee's better this year. They got more proven playmakers than Pitt does. I think Tennessee goes into uh, Pitt and wins that game. And look, that's not really an intimidating home environment. The former Heinz Field, they just recently changed the name. And off the top of my head, I can't remember what it is, but it's not Heinz Field anymore. But the artist that was formerly known as Heinz Field. Um, now they do play in the coastal of the ACC, so that does help. No Clemson and crossover play. They get all the best ACC teams on their schedule on the road. They have to go to Miami, to North Carolina, to Virginia with Brennan Armstrong, to Louisville with Malik Cunningham, which I think can be a very tricky game for them. And they also have the renewal of the backyard brawl with West Virginia in week one. Now, do they lose all of those games? No, probably not. But I see at least three losses, and I handicap this pit team at eight and four. That's my prediction. So, no, not a bad season. Pretty good season by normal pit standards, but emphatically not the type of success that they experienced a year ago. But okay, guys, I made it. We made it through the episode. I had a ton of fun doing this. I almost blacked out. I didn't. I stayed awake, but in about five minutes, I will be asleep in my bed. So I got to wrap this up. Thank you guys again for taking time to listen to this episode and supporting this new podcast. I really appreciate you guys. Follow follow me on Twitter at NoGradPod, like, retweet, interact, and please, if you have it in your heart, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you appreciate the research and the effort and the passion that goes into producing this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider leaving a five-star rating and review because that is a massive help as I try to grow this podcast out. So thank you guys for listening. Have a fantastic weekend, and I will be back up fully rested after I go to sleep for about 72 straight hours. And uh, we'll talk some more college football, but I'll see you guys then. We're